Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. Some of you may remember, on some of the episodes, I've talked about county birding and with different people who are county listers in Washington and other places, a little bit about my own relatively recent foray into looking for birds in all the various counties in Washington State. Well, my guest this episode is Matt Bartels. Matt is one of just two people to find 200 species of birds in each of the 39 counties in Washington. For people who are not that into Washington birding, that may or may not sound like an incredible feat. Trust me, it's an incredible feat. In some counties, if you look at the eBird lists in Washington, there are barely over 200 species that can be found, and the top local birders in those counties in some counties, there may be one or two people who have barely over 200 species in those in those counties. So to find 200 birds in some counties in Washington is truly a huge task. And to do it in every county is pretty much mind-blowing. Well, Matt's done it, and we hear a little bit about that today. Matt didn't get into birding until he was a young adult, and he fell for the county birding bug head over heels. He was all in from the get-go, and it's really been a great gift to the birders of Washington. This list-keeping passion of Matt's has led him to be secretary of the Washington Bird Records Committee. We talk about his work with the Records Committee, how he, uh, according to Brad Wagner, one of my previous guests, really carries the heavy work and does the difficult tasks associated with that committee so that the other records committee members can do their work of deciding on what records to accept and not. Uh, and so we are all thankful to Matt for that work. But it's just fun to hear him talk. So much fun to hear about somebody who's so passionate about what he does and really good at it. So I enjoyed that. And I hope you enjoy that too. So help me welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 83, Matt Bartels. Matt, welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast. Thanks for being my guest today. Glad to be here. Good to talk, Ed. Yeah, it's very good. I've been hoping to get you on as a guest for some time, but uh, you know, I got around to it and you had the time, so here we are. That's good. Matt, I'm going to begin by talking about county birding because you are, an, I think, unarguably an avid county birder. <laughs> Guilty. Uh, for, listeners, for listeners who don't know, uh, county birding at least in my definition, is when a birder tries to find as many species as they can in a county, or sometimes in a whole bunch of counties. Uh, Some avid county birders, like Matt, have tried to find as many species as they can in every county in their home state, which is Washington for us. And Matt is one of only two people, Tom Mansfield and Matt, have found 200 species in every county, all of the 39 counties in Washington, which is uh, beyond mind blowing to me, uh, I'm I'm working on trying to find a hundred species in every county, and as any birder knows, uh, the finding the first hundred is a lot easier than finding the second hundred. Uh, so, Matt, tell me about uh, county birding and the Washington Birder website and how you're involved in that, and just county birding in general. Yeah, well, guilty as charged, I definitely fall into the category of being a Uh, kind of obsessed county lister. And it really, for me, gets tied all together with Washington Birder. The two just um, don't really have any way of untangling from each other. Um, I started birding less than 20 years ago. 
in in other than some childhood birding. And I was looking back at records, and within a year of my first recorded outings, I was already putting together county lists for every county that I could figure out that I'd been to. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that I evolved into. It was sort of part of the very beginning of the birding experience for me. And it really came about through like stumbling into Washington Birder when it was a printed journal. Okay. And so I, I was out birding and I can still remember, it may have been my first time ever meeting Patrick and Ruth Sullivan, Mm -hmm. who are kind of just legendary, notorious birders of, of the, 2000s basically and they were talking to me and they said have you heard of washington burger it's this journal for county listing and or newsletter for county listing and they said here here's a free copy so they were evangelizing for (laughs) the the newsletter and they gave me a copy of it and by the end of that year that was 2003 by the end of that year i had my first article in that um, newsletter about how to put together an Excel spreadsheet to track all your county birds. Oh, okay. So you, you're a techie from the get-go. <laughs> I was I was definitely, I think, Lister driven by the techie side to you know, make use of Excel. I, I kind of live in Excel when I can. So it was a natural pairing of like all of these county lists that were out there that Ken Knittle and Lori Knittle had put together for every county, just begging to be put into a spreadsheet. Well, your spreadsheet is spectacular. I have to say for birders, especially Washington birders who don't know, on the Washington, it's at wabirder.com, I think is the URL. On Washington Birder, uh, Matt has, uh, I think you call it an enhanced uh, Excel spreadsheet or something like that, uh, that has uh, lit columns for every county in the state, columns for eastern Washington and western Washington, and over 1,500 feet elevation, I think, and pelagic burning and all sorts of columns. And under each column is the list of, in the far left-hand column, is a list of every bird on the Washington state list, accepted bird. And then as you, so if you follow the row of the bird across, it'll have a color-coded uh, uh, likelihood of seeing it for every species, for every county in the whole state. So it's a very graphic, intuitive way uh, to uh, know what you've seen and what you haven't seen and what you haven't seen that would be easy to see and, and that to, if you think about things that way. Yeah, the... Um... The basic version of that list, the first one I put together, it was pretty much the rows and columns with the color coding, and you could put a one in every every box that you saw the bird, and mm-hmm. it would give you your totals. So you could right. see like how many you had for a county or how many different counties you'd seen a species in. And the mm-hmm. you mentioned that it's like on the Washington Burger site as the enhanced checklist. The enhanced part of that came when Michael Hobbs, who I'm sure we'll talk about later today um when he joined forces and i like excel i live in excel i i'm an amateur in it michael knows excel and Mm -hmm. so michael took that spreadsheet to another level by building in a bunch of macros where now you can press a button and generate all the county needs you have for any particular county or generate you push a button and you can generate your life list for any county Okay. And you can, there's a map page now where you can select a species and it'll color in all the counties you've seen that species, all the counties you haven't, 
all the, oh my goodness. you know, it just does all these extra cool things. And that enhanced part is um really awesome add on. And that was all Michael. That is super cool. Uh, you know, I have to say, I've used that list uh, probably in the unenhanced ways. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know it would do all those cool things. That is uber cool. I have got to spend some time playing with that and figure it out. Because, you know, for me, I kind of gave up trying to put my things in. I, I keep my records on eBird. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to to find the, to go down your eBird list, uh, which it, Anyway, it, it's not easy to make. I, I'm missing one. Which one am I missing? There's but always I, one that doesn't line up. It's it's a yeah. law of the lists. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, it it I I've just gone to uh, at the end of the year now. I send in my uh, little spreadsheet, and it all goes on the thing. And uh, I I have to say, with my county birding this year, I am going to no longer be the lowest. Uh, listed person <laughs> in a couple of counties that I currently in 2019 mm-hmm. am the lowest listed. So I am, I'm going to get my name off the very bottom of a couple of counties. So awesome. I'm, I'm happy about that. Yay. <laughs> That's always fun to kind of watch the slow creep up the list. Yeah. As you move yeah. up various ones. So I, I looked at your, I, there's a place on the, on the website where you can see uh, all the birders in the state who've submitted that they have a hundred species in every county and 150 and 175 and 200. And obviously the list gets smaller uh, as you <laughs> go across the thing. And I'm sure there are a lot of birders who have had a hundred species in each county who haven't submitted it to watch a birder. I mean, I'm sure there are some, I don't know. If yeah, there are definitely. Uh, but anyway, I looked at your list and it looked like in just 10 years, you went from 100 species in every county to 200 species in every county from 2008 to 2018. You must have been birding your brains out. <laughs> it, was, it was awfully fun. I mean, so it was a lot of focused birding. But, you know, if you look at that same list and then I'll talk about myself a bit, but look at the speed for Tom Mansfield. So I, I didn't do that. In, two, yeah. in 2008, when I reached 100 in all 39 counties, mm-hmm. Tom also reached 100 in all 39 counties. Mm. He got to 200 by 2014. Six years to go that distance instead of 10 years. Tom, Tom, Tom was retired at the time, wasn't he? Um, actually, no, or, he's still working. No, it's, he is. Yes. Oh, my goodness. There's, there's, there's obsessed craziness and there's obsessed craziness. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it takes a lot of repeat visits, a lot of willingness to sort of just think it through and figure out, okay, you know, it's not just about going to all the counties, but when have I not been to that county? Mm-hmm. Um, what season am I missing in that county? Yeah, yeah. And really kind of plotting and planning that way. And then a lot of cursing the last few counties. Cause I'm sure, you know, some of them you can get by with just a minimal effort and get to the 200, mm-hmm. but to get to 200 in a lot of those counties, you just got to fight with yeah. them. Well, there, there are a fair number of counties that, uh, at least a handful of counties where the top lister on Washington Birder doesn't have 210 species. (laughs) Yeah. Those Southeastern, the Garfield and Columbia pairing, and then Wakayakum County in the, in the Southwest, those counties are really tough to get too far beyond that. Yeah. I think, I mean, boy, it's kind of crazy. Garfield County. I think there's only 230 some total birds on the Mm -hmm. list. So, so tell me, 
kind of walk me through your strategy, how you did, how did you go for like, did you go for a week and a half into a place and just spend a day or two and then go to a different County? How did, what was your strategy? How'd you go about it? Um, in general, my strategy was lots of short visits. Um, I'm mostly been working the whole time. Mm-hmm. So didn't have long stretches of time where I could go out other than like holiday weekends and the side and the like, so mm-hmm. it would be two-day trips, maybe extend to a three-day trip. And in the beginning, I think it was easier to do a full-on focus on a single county at a time. Mm-hmm. And then as you get further along and the odds of picking up a lot of species um, get get diminished, um, it becomes more of a hunt and peck thing where yeah. you might okay, I'm going to go I'm going to this county for this one or two birds. Yeah. yeah. So something like, you know, this October um I did another one of these outings because October is scoter time in eastern Washington. Mm, yes. And so it wasn't about any particular county, it was about let's find scoters as many places as might be possible. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that becomes more of like, you know, oh, it's common yellowthroat fall migration. Where do I need to go find common yellowthroat? Let's swing through right. those counties. So you become mm-hmm. like, um, I don't know, more of a dilettante flying around, zooming from place to place to pick yeah. up the same bird in multiple places and less of that uh, deep, intense focus where you're doing long days in one small place. Yeah. Did you find, I, I while I was doing this uh, uh perusing of the database this afternoon, I saw, you know, Russ Coppendryer got to 175 in each county this year, not this year, 2019. And he had a heck of a year. He had four, uh, uh, four county firsts that he found in that year. And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, it, it's pretty awesome. He, he's been really like, I think he recently retired. And okay. I mean, he was already birding heavy and as a, he was, he was bit by the county listing bug before he retired, but mm-hmm. the the excuse of retirement has got him in high speed. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, it's been, it's been fun. And, and yeah, he, part of his getting county first is also though, you know, I think like most of the county listers, you you're running around everywhere, but you've also got your home and mm-hmm. your home county or your home patches. And I mean, I bet most, many of Russ's, County first, or in Collins County, where um, some of them are. But in that in that year, he got two. He got northern water thrush in Columbia. Oh yes, I was jealous and, of that one. <laughs> and he got northern water thrush in Wakayakum, and he had two two other county firsts, and one of them was on the east side. So he had two in his home area, mm-hmm. southeast southwest Washington, and two on the other side of the mountains. Well was, done. I mean, he he's just yeah. You got to be have your eyes open to do that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it puts you out there in enough places and um, the birds are coming through. You know, Garfield County has a ton of birds that we're missing. Oh, yeah. You know, that just doesn't have the coverage. And so um, one of the fun things that makes going to those ridiculously hard counties so so interesting is you do stand a chance of finding something pretty rare just yeah. because not enough people are going there and the birds have got to be going through yeah, they. I'm sure they are uh, going through when the when the birders aren't there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell tell me the history of the Washington Birder website. Was that Ken Knittle's, uh, uh, uh I don't know about website. The uh, yeah the count the Washington Birder 
yeah. started out before there was a website. Can <laughs> kind of tell me this story because I don't really know it. Um, so Washington Birder started as a newsletter, and this is before my time as a birder, but it started in the early 90s, about 93. Mm-hmm. And Ken started up, um, I think he was working with Scott Ray, um, who was another early county lister um, who was no longer in the state by the time I was birding. So I've never met him. The two of them really started Washington Birder. And then the secret force behind them is Lori Knittel, Ken's wife. Mm-hmm. And so they worked on first the newsletter only. And then eventually the website came into being. And I'm not quite sure when it started, but it was up by the early 2000s. So okay. if you if you kind of look at the style of the website, it's pretty clear it's early web design. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's no, there's nothing super fancy in 2020s about it. Um, it was developed early when webs, you know, early in website life. But um, he started from early on asking people to send in their county year lists, their county life lists, and mm-hmm. when you look at those early journals from the 90s, they were trying to create a, a list for each county. They were trying to figure out what's even been seen in these counties. And sure. so they were, you know, really developing it out. And by the time I started getting involved in the early 2000s, you know, every county had a list already. So that mm-hmm. piece of the mystery was at least, you know, at least the the initial version was created for every county. And there was an understanding of roughly what was out there and how frequent it was. And then it's just sort of built up on the knowledge as more and more birders got involved. But the um, the website mostly has been a place for putting occasional articles and um, it's the the yearly totals of everybody's everybody sends in their annual totals of what they did in their mm-hmm. big days and their big years. And that's mostly what was up there. Um, when I created the Excel spreadsheet, that became the place that I hosted that as well. Okay. And that sort of started developing thinking, well, what what could we do with the website? Especially because after 2007, the, the paper version of Washington Birder was no longer published. Mm-hmm. So it had about a 15-year run, and then it, then it went to just online. And so we started putting some other things in there, and I started working with Ken and Lori at first. So first was that checklist that you can track your own birds. And then a little later, I started adding the, um, the sort of group effort county year list project. Mm-hmm. And so that, I guess, started in 2006. I wrangled a few a few of the county listers to watch their own counties. And the idea was, you know, instead of each person running up their own totals for a county, what would happen if we tried to com- combine efforts and keep track of all the birds seen in a county in a year? Right. And so right. we started tracking that to say, you know, hey, how many birds are actually seen in Kitsap County, Brad? Asking Brad Wagner to track that. Sure. And, you know, Ken and Wilson Katie down in Skamania County. And so um, we got a group of people to start doing that. And every year starting in 2007, I've been able to find someone to compile a county year list for every single county in the state. Mm-hmm. And we check in every two months and I publish an update on the website and we try to get together some sense of like, how is the year going? What is it looking like overall? And I kind of like it because it takes away from that individual competition and mm-hmm. it gives a chance to say like, you know, how are we all doing together? 
So sure. it's a kind of fun, fun counterbalance to the obsession that I certainly have about like increasing my own list. Yeah, we're really lucky in Pierce County. Bruce Labar is the <sighs> county compiler. Mm-hmm. He's, he's fabulous, uh, and uh, we have a we have a there there may I think there's eleven or twelve of us who are you know relatively avid county birders. The area a, code birders. Yeah, you're the area and code birders. We, we are the two five three birders. Yes, uh, uh, Marcus Ronig, who was a, one of my guests on an earlier episode. When you get to two hundred fifty three birds in the two five three Tacoma in the Pierce County area, he will buy you a beer. So he hasn't bought that many beers yet. So, but uh, yeah, hopefully more to come. I was I was but, checking. I've got I've got a little over twenty species before I get that beer from Marcus. Okay, well, come on down. We'll have to find them. Yeah, they're probably not easy. Yeah, I don't when think so. When you get so. to about two twenty or thirty, they they come in onesies. You know, <laughs> uh, but we are lucky in Pierce. We've got the mountain. We've got Puget Sound. We've got a pretty good county to bird. I mean, it's not much different than King County, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit different. We have a little more Mount Rainier and a little less uh, uh, saltwater birds. I think. It seems about right. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, uh, so you've, we've talked about county birding a little bit. Uh, tell me your birding story. How did you get interested in birding? You said, uh, you know, you didn't start a, a, as an avid birder as a three-year-old, like some of my guests have. <laughs> uh, how did, how'd you get into birding? You know, I, I did bird a little bit as a kid, but it didn't really catch on strong. So I was looking around and I still have a physical checklist because of course it's a list of birds from when i was 10 years old and it's you know it's got long-billed marsh wren and greenback heron although you know fun to see all the old names on it so i was birding and keeping a list as a kid but i don't really remember that i know i did Mm -hmm. a lot outside various nature camps and the like but it didn't catch on so i don't really think of myself as like continuous birder at all from the kid kids age um it it really caught on for me um in the early 2000s i had already moved up to seattle so it's a hobby that or a pastime and obsession that really for me is tied to seattle and i think the inspiration for me was mostly sort of distant nudges from my sister um okay my sister is a naturalist a wildlife biologist she runs a uh, nature center along the shores of Lake Superior. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I had been doing a lot of traveling um, overseas and traveling around on the West Coast. And she just would continuously say, like, how can you not be looking at the birds? And I'd be <laughs> like, what birds? I don't understand. And finally, after quite a while of doing that, I was walking around Green Lake in Seattle which is, you know, mm-hmm. nice urban lake in the middle of town. And wow. um, I talked to my sister after that, and she was living, I think, in New York State at that point. And I was like, yeah, so there were these black ducks with a white bill. And she was like, those are American coots, and they're not exactly ducks. And I said, and these <laughs> other ducks with like a green head? She's like, sounds like you were seeing, Amer-. I said green with some gray or something. And she's like, yeah. sounds like American widgeon is what you're seeing. And then she was able to like, through some sort of sorcery, she was able to say, um, you know, in a couple of weeks, those birds are going to fly away and be gone because it's almost time for them to go breeding. And I'm like, right. how did she know anything about the birds in Seattle? She hasn't been here. 
how is that possible? And, and that kind of a nudging finally got me over the top. And once, once that hit, then I think combining that with some sort of natural desire to make lists mm-hmm. was the perfect match. <laughs> and it was all so downhill you, from you're, there. You're a scorekeeper. You keep score on things you do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's good. That's good. Uh, so uh, that was, you said, early 2000s. Yeah. So that was so about. You've only I, been birding twenty years, give or take. There you go. Yeah, not too long. Okay. So it was. Okay. I think when I look in my my database, two thousand two are the first records I keep, and okay. by two thousand three, I've got that county checklist going, and I'm submitting my year records to Washington mm-hmm. Birder. So it all happened in that first year. I'm I'm already in two thousand two. Like the big influence in sort of training me as a birder was really mm-hmm. later in 2002 when I stumbled into the Marymore Park Walk. Oh, yes. It's, that's Michael, Ho- is that's, that Michael Hobbs. That's Michael Hobbs, yeah. yeah. So Michael Hobbs, and at that point, Michael and Brian Bell together, um, oh you know, they the two of them were leading this weekly walk. And um, the, I think, again, the thing that hooked me was Michael had a website up mm-hmm. where you could go to the website. And at that point, it showed, I believe, only by month the abundance of all the birds of Marymore Park. And I could look at the abundance chart and scroll through to the month. And, you know, Marymore was close enough to where I am that that was a pretty good list for what I might find anywhere nearby. And he and Brian have done just such a, I mean, talk about a long-term study of an area. It's just spectacular. It's, it's pretty amazing. And yeah, once I hooked up with that group, I mean, that was the training ground, I think, that really, you know, I had I had the obsession pretty easily on my own, but the knowledge base really came from birding with with Michael, getting that going. Yeah, that's great. My Michael Hobbs story, uh, I uh, I was a long time ago, I don't know when it was, but a long time ago, uh, they had a WASC conference at Ocean Shores. This in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. probably. I don't, I don't even know when it was. Uh, but I know I went to the trip out and is it Point Grenville? Mm, Point yeah. Grenville? Is yeah. that where they have the rock with the breeding birds right off? I think that's right. Down on them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I was there with my wife and two, two friends that were, my wife was uh, probably as good a birder as I was at the time, not very. Mm. Uh, and uh, the friends were not birders at all. But I was trying to learn bird songs at that point. And we're walking out after the after the group thing. You had a couple hours to wander around. So walking down a path and I hear a little bird chip and I uh, I get Kay and my friends over and says, that's a song sparrow calling down there. And this tall, thin guy with hair coming out of everywhere looks, you know, looks a, a different look. Michael can be a little intimidating, you know, <laughs> and if you don't know who he is, I mean, he's just a big beard, big hair. Uh, authoritative looking guy. Uh, he comes over and kind of looks over my shoulder and points and he said, that's a winter wren. See it right there. <laughs> it gives me this look like, how dare you teach these people wrong? So I'm, I'm totally intimidated. <laughs> that's my first Michael Hobbs story. And it, I've seen him here and there over, over the years, but uh, it was just kind of funny that he just gently just corrects me, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's really great. You know, I mean, now, now, uh, you know, I'm, st- I'm still learning from him, but we're both teaching each other. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's evolved into something where, I mean, for my, for work, I actually negotiated to have Thursdays off. 
so that I could continue to go. That was part of what I negotiated when I got the new job that I started at. I was like, okay, this is all great, but I need Thursdays off. And that was because of Marymore, because it's just, you know, rarely are we going to see too much brand new, but it's the, it's sort of that home patch where it doesn't have to be new or a new County bird or anything. It's just the training ground. And you get to go birding with good friends, yeah. which is really nice too. Good for you. That sounds like a great, uh, great way to get started. I, uh, I, I took Ken Brown's class. Uh, mm. Ken's my closest birding buddy now, but at the time he was teaching the birding class for, for home Audubon. And I took his class and it was like, Oh my goodness, these, these people, they're really good. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I didn't know much uh, at the time. I, I yeah. yeah. It, the, the, that you know where birds are going to be when, and you can go intentionally find a certain bird at a certain place at a certain time of year and have a high likelihood it's going to happen, even though it's kind of a rare bird sort of, it's like, wow, these guys, how do they know all of this? It's pretty cool. This is sorcery. No doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you avoid the e-bird bug? I, I don't think you <laughs> e-bird, do you? I don't. I'm actually, I mean, I've got the reviewer powers in e-bird because of my WBRC <laughs> um mm-hmm. efforts so we'll talk about maybe talk about that later but yeah but um yeah i don't enter records into ebird and um i would love to have a diatribe about why that's the right thing to do but i don't really have a great excuse for it my only excuses that make any sense for me are that one part of this like listing obsession is mm-hmm. something of being like a control freak about keeping everything complete. Mm-hmm. And the thought of taking the time to go back and enter all of these records, which, you know, I've got a birding oh. database. I've got yeah. them all it, in there. It could be done, but oh my goodness. You know, I look to Gary Bletch, who he took on his many more years and much more detailed list of records. Um, mm-hmm. And he got them all in there. Just, I would, there were years when I would, you know, I wouldn't run into him very often, but I got to where I would run into Gary Bletch up in the Skagit area and i'd be like mm-hmm. what year are you on an ebird and he'd have made a little more progress and a little yeah. more progress and you know i think he's got them all in now that he's wow, good for him yeah so it is possible so my one excuse is i wouldn't want to get part of them in there i yeah. want to have them all in there <laughs> well, yeah for me it's just the, the easy easiest record keeping thing of all time i mean you do it on your phone right when you're there and it's done you don't have to go home and spend a lot of time re-entering data and stuff so i i love the little phone phone app and keeping america but the data entry is the fun part oh i mean <laughs> okay okay <laughs> yeah there i mean i have some really trivial ebird objections about like mm-hmm. i would like so personally a bird doesn't make it on my list unless I see it. Oh, okay. And I do most of my birding. You know, I find most of my birds in birding by ear. And again, sure. thanks to Michael, have gotten really pretty darn good at birding by ear. But if it goes into my list, I have to actually you, see you it. Thought. And okay. and I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty good about like not getting not getting too upset that I'm letting birds go. You know, potential mm-hmm. potential county birds that I've heard oh. the, the number of owls that would be on my list if I did herd saw wet and things oh, like wow. that. You know, those aren't on my list, and mm. I would, you know, basically because of that quirk in the way that I list, 
Mm-hmm. I believe that I would never have a complete list in eBird for any yeah. given outing. I'd, every sure. single one would be incomplete. And so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think that's still an excuse. But you know, I think I think each to our own. You know, we mm-hmm. we have our own joys and our own little odd quirks about ourselves. I have that's- them. Sounds like you might have one or two, uh, and that's all good. But, you know, I am absolutely an eBird poacher. I, I mean, I'm on, I'm on eBird you, all the if time. You would, I would, if you would, <laughs> I would wonder about you. Yeah. So it's like I'm definitely using the data that other people are entering all the time. And it's, it is really awesome to have such an incredible font of information that you can actually find, you know, find out. Hmm, what kind especially now with the enhanced versions where they give you the likely birds for this place this time of year and yeah. you know if you do if you've got your records into it it can tell you you know what's the next most likely bird for this county for you yeah yeah it's pretty cool the target target list target list right yeah yeah i mean i use those literally Every time I go on a trip. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that is super cool. I'm going to uh, switch tacks here. Uh, <laughs> you, you are uh, the secretary of the Washington Bird Records Committee. The, for listeners that don't know, most states, I think, I don't know if all states, certainly Washington and most states in the ABA, the American Birding Association area, have a committee uh, that reviews rare bird sightings and keeps track of the lists. And, and it's a wonderful service to have. I mean, I, you know, avid birders use that data all the time. So tell me, what is the secretary? What do you do? Uh, how's the committee set up? What type of people do you like to have on the committee? And then maybe uh, wrap that whole thing up with, uh, you just met for your annual meeting. Tell me what, what, uh, what, new, what great birds were accepted or not accepted. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I've been the secretary for 10 years now. So, Mm -hmm. um, and it really is a role that fits well with this running theme of liking to enter data, liking to track things and kind of that organizational side of things really fits well with the skills needed for the secretary role. So the, the bird records committee is seven, usually seven voting members plus a secretary for, Mm -hmm. for our state. So, our goal is sort of twofold. One is to review all rare bird sightings in the state. And that's the one that we're most known for. And then mm-hmm. collect documentation for those birds is number two. And try to build up the knowledge base of those rare bird sightings in the state. And so I think BRCs in general, bird records committees, they mm-hmm. are really interesting Uh, on the fringes of understanding bird status and distribution because you know the the heart of the bird distribution and story in any state is really not the rare birds sure it's the common birds. you know it's it's understanding robins and things like that and that's not what we're tasked with um you know we're tasked with the status and distribution of the new birds or the Mm -hmm. unusual birds and so it's it's sort of building fleshing out that picture around the edges and learning about those edge cases. And so basically when a rare bird gets announced that someone thinks they've seen one somewhere, then it's my job to follow up and nudge that person to Mm -hmm. send in documentation and try to get, I try to keep track of any reports on tweeters or inland Northwest birds, the email lists of the state. And of course on eBird, anytime a bird that's a rare bird gets reported, I make a little note of it. 
And then pretty soon I follow up and start har- harassing or nudging, encouraging um, mm-hmm. the observers to send in materials documenting it. And so the, the secretary is sort of the, the, the record collector for mm-hmm. everyone. And then I put those, I keep track of that and try to keep track of where we are and getting information, put it all together into two packets that the old fashioned way that packets used to work for bird records committee was a physical printed packet of all the documentation. Mm -hmm. And when it came time for them to be reviewed, you would take the physical copy and mail it to committee member number one. And they would enter all of their votes on all of the, the various rare birds and mail Mm -hmm. it to committee member number two. And it was a packet being mailed around and, you know, now it's all digital. So we, I collect all that information, try to get it into a somewhat orderly um, set of files. And Mm -hmm. then everybody gets a link to an online shared folder and a Mm -hmm. voting tally. And there's a certain length of time that everybody reviews the packet and independently enters their votes. Okay. And then we get those votes back and a good number of birds, there's a lot of relative unanimity on right away. You know, Mm -hmm. if you have amazing photos by a bunch of people of, I don't know what a good, a scissor tail fly catcher shows up and there's great photos of it from, you know, a bunch of different observers. There's not going to be any like discussion over it. It's Mm going to be passed just by independent votes, but any birds where there's like uncertainty or a desire to talk about they, those files get passed on to the annual meeting for discussion. Okay. And so the annual meeting is kind of where anything that we want to, we want to work through with a little more than just independent votes um, gets hashed out in the annual meeting. Okay. About the only thing I know about the annual meeting is that it used to, in in most (laughs) years, not this year, be followed or either followed by or happen at the same time as uh, the bird records committee getting together at Nia Bay late, late in the in mid-fall, you know, October, November timeframe. And that's when all the really good birds got found down there because a lot of really good birders, you know, yeah. evolved on the Nia Bay phenomenon started to happen. Well, I, I have learned my lesson this year. So as the sort of taskmaster of the committee, who wants mm-hmm. to keep everybody on task and keep like right. discussions going. And, you know, we've got a lot to cover in this meeting and we need to be all here every year. As you said, the standard practice has been the meeting happens on a Saturday. And mm-hmm. when the meeting ends, everybody that can hops in their cars and goes to the Bay. Mm-hmm. And we usually meet um, at the Slater museum um, okay. down in Tacoma. Right, and then, Tacoma carpools or however else, however else can be done everybody flees to nia bay and as the meeting draws on the urge to get to nia bay gets stronger and stronger <laughs> and you kind of sit there and i i i remember a few years back we were this might have been the 2014 mega year out at oh, nia yeah. bay but one of those years you know people had their phones out and were getting text messages from birders who were up at Nia Bay. It actually was after 2014 because Nia Bay had kind of been discovered by enough people. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we're sitting there in the meeting and Ryan Merrill says, field sparrow happening now at Nia Bay. And we all just kind of look around the table and we're like, 
we got to keep going on these, don't we? <laughs> so my so my taskmaster self said, you know, Nia Bay, it's great, but it gets to be distracting for our meeting. And I wish, you know, maybe we don't want that pressure. And so this year I got my wish. And yeah, not, we, not the way you thought you'd get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so this year with, with uh, COVID, uh, understandably so, the Makah tribe has closed down Nia Bay for any outsiders. Sure. Makes a lot of sense, but took that option of going out there for after the BRC meeting right off the table. And I was talking with some of the committee members before our meeting, and they said, you know, we're having the meeting by Zoom. You think we're going to take longer this year? And I was like, nah, we don't have Nia Bay to pull us away. I was like, it's maybe it'll take longer now, but we also are on Zoom, and who likes Zoom? And sure. I thought that, you know, without the without the burden of Nia Bay, we'd be focused and ready to go and just whip through everything fast because we could really just bear down on this and there wouldn't be the distraction of where to go. And um, we did have a lot, lot, lot longer meeting. <laughs> I don't know that it was any different than usual as far as um, being more focused or anything, though. I think Nia Bay is a good motivator to really target yeah. getting your going. We were on Zoom for five and a half hours this last Ouch. meeting, which that's a lot of time to stare into zoom camera. Um, painful. Yeah. So, um, I think Nia Bay is great for the bird records committee. It gets us moving and helps us focus our attention. So that's the payoff in normal years to get to go out there with that amazing group of birders and just see what can be uncovered. Yeah. For those that don't know it from to drive from, uh, Tacoma to Nia Bay is, you know, four and a half hours if you're flying. It's really a five plus hour drive on windy roads. It's it's a long ways. Yeah, it's a haul out there. So the the goal when you're meeting in the bird records committee meeting is to get done in time to grab dinner in Port Townsend, which is a couple mm-hmm. hours down the road, uh, right. and then bring that dinner with you to Nia Bay and then you're ready for the next morning to start birding. So you're mm-hmm. not getting there to do any birding on the day of the meeting. Sure. Very good. So what, uh, tell me about this year's rare, uh, I want to say rare bird committee, bird mm-hmm. records committee meeting. <laughs> it was, it was a great meeting as far as like more, I, I think a little more interesting birds than some years are that probably the most interesting discussions were, um, we had three new life birds or, or state state birds, uh, right. that had to be worked through. Um, and one of them was a scarlet tanager mm-hmm. that was a state first seen and photographed on Camino Island in Island County. Mm-hmm. That one came with photographs. Everybody voted yes. No discussion. Easy. easy done on the list. The next two that required some discussion, though, one was a December 2019 record of a northern giant petrel. I remember that. Yeah. So. Northern giant petrel has previously never been seen in North American waters. Wow. Never been seen in, I think, the Northern Hemisphere or the Northern Pacific, at least. Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, it's a bird of Antarctica in the, in the regions right. around Antarctica and not supposed to be up here. And there was a commercial fisherman 
who was out on a boat and thought to take pictures of this weird looking albatross mixed in with the black footed albatross and mm-hmm. thought to send them around. And, wow. But that bird was, you know, seen in December. We voted on it in our spring packet for the BRC mm-hmm. and we didn't have unanimous. Yes. Which means, you know, we wanted to have a discussion about it. Sure. And so that's, that one got carried over and we had a good long discussion basically as if we're going to claim an ABA first bird and approve that and endorse that, uh, we really wanted to be sure that everyone yeah. was confident or enough people were confident enough to go with it. And so yeah. the, the discussion, um, and Bill Twight was the, um, you know, probably the, the longest serving BRC member. He was really right. good about this and like saying, Hey, you may think this is certain, but let's really go through this. Um, we're, relying mostly on the color of the bill or the color Mm -hmm. of the dot on the bill, the tip of the bill. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, what can we do to be sure that there's not some weird photo coloration happening here by, you know, accidentally leading us astray. Um, How how do we know it's a red bill tip as opposed to a green bill tip, which is what a Southern giant petrel would have. Right. And so there was quite a good discussion that involved, you know, well, if we look at how the color changes on the black footed albatross right next to it, we can see that it's looking pretty stable, you know, mm-hmm. things like that and discussing, you know, are sure. we sure? Um, so Do you it, call on outside experts for help with these things. I mean, I'm sure I doubt that many of you had a lot of experience with this bird. Well, so yes and yes. Um, so this is one of the amazing things you mentioned wondering, you know, what do we look for in bird records committee members? Mm-hmm. One of the amazing um, traits of a lot of the Bird Records Committee members is not so much that they're good Washington birders, it's that mm-hmm. they bring with them amazing experience outside of the state. Mm-hmm. Because we're supposed to be looking for birds that are or understanding and evaluating birds that are rare in the state. So right. I, was, I was just this morning sending in the transcript of our discussion to the ABA mm-hmm. Checklist Committee, and I was looking it over and the number of committee members who were able to say like, well, you know, I've only studied Northern and giant, Northern and Southern giant petrels on a couple of pelagics. <laughs> and, you know, there, there were committee members who have never seen one, but sure. I think the majority and maybe either I'd say five out of seven probably wow. have had personal experience with Northern giant petrels. <laughs> In comparison with Southern Gen, and that's just kind of par for the course um, of like what makes the group so amazing. So, yes, a lot of personal experience on a crazy variety of birds. And then, yeah, we definitely ask for outside experts. So um, one of the things that Bill encouraged us to do before we had the fall meeting was to circulate the record and send Mm -hmm. it around to some people in New Zealand who do pelagics with Northern and Science northern and southern giant petrels so uh-huh. we got some of those pelagic leaders from new zealand to write in with some of their evaluations of why they were sure it was a northern giant mm-hmm. very cool yeah so so that's so it's nice to hear that process i mean i i kind of assumed and had heard those sorts of things but that's wow 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 and really wow very cool yeah uh, so that's two of the so that one was accepted i'm assuming yeah that one was accepted and, and then the third bird? Third bird is our state's first Nazca booby. Yes. And that, that was a tougher one. Yeah. That one that one took um, discussion again. And so 
a basic story. Nazca Booby comes flying by the Seattle shoreline in yeah, what month was that? I don't even remember the month right now. This year. Um, and Dave Slager, one of the committee members, mm-hmm. is there to watch it go by. And he gets word out and three or four other birders are able to get on the bird as it circles around off of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, they, including Ryan Merrill and Dave and Ryan mm-hmm. are both awesome birders, including yeah. Sam Faison, who's another great Seattle birder um, who was out at West Seattle and got the closest looks. Um, some video is taken of it, mm-hmm. but the bird is far offshore. Oh, it's a long ways off. Yeah. So it wasn't real close in. And then the question for Nazca booby is Nazca versus masked booby. Sure. And the two of them have a lot of similar appearance, especially mm-hmm. at distance. And yes. so we knew it was Nazca slash mask. No question. Um, mm-hmm. There's, there's even some really hazy video taken of it um, that Sam got from West Seattle um, mm-hmm. So you can see that it's a white colored booby, no question there. But then it mm-hmm. comes down to things like bill color. Yeah. And we had pretty good descriptions of how the observers were able to tell the cut with the decent amount of confidence that the bill was the bright yellow that you would expect to see in a Nazca as mm-hmm. opposed to I, the Dullery. I read several of the eBird uh, yeah, extensive comments on that bird. Yeah. I looked at some pictures myself. It was I, I was like, wow, these guys are good. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's hard because we wanted to I think everybody wanted to check themselves because at this day and age, unlike ten years ago, Nazca is the expected one of those two to show up up here. Right. So, you know, ten years ago it would have been masked or nothing. And now we would more or less expect Nazca to get here before Mask. So were we playing into our expectation that it's a, a Nazca because it had to be a Nazca? Yeah. And so that's what kind of the discussion was about. Like, do we have enough or was there sort of the, the problem with written descriptions for everybody is how hard it is to pull those biases, uh, what exactly. you're expecting to see versus what you really are seeing. Exactly. You see what you expect to see so easily. Yeah. And so that came down to, you know, we, we, it's the bird, the list of birds for the state has a series of cryptic comments on them. And uh, Nazca booby now has a new, new status that we like to keep track of how many species we've seen with documentation in the state or Mm -hmm. by written documentation only. So how many have been photographed or other um, or right. have a, a specimen definitive, in a museum, definitive something definitive yeah. like that. And so for this bird, it's on the list as a site record of Nazca booby, mm-hmm. but we've got definitive documentation of Nazca slash mask for the same bird. Right. Because the video yeah. definitely gets it to that species pair. And mm-hmm. so it's got this own, its own little category that it's a site only, but not quite a site only record. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a cool way to do it. That's you guys are thoughtful, I have to say. I'm on the WAS uh, board now, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, so I would I I sat through the meetings where we uh, work through the uh, the new bylaws. I, I I still don't know if we called them bylaws or if we called them uh, <laughs> policy and procedures. That was a big part of the discussion. I don't even remember how it ended up. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, 
That's but anyway, I, I have a, a much better understanding of the of the rules that you guys work under and, and the the job that you're tasked with now. You know, it's it's been a bureaucratic process to get those bylaws together, but mm-hmm. it's really a good process. I think it's been good for us because, you know, we we've been so much has been done by sort of common understanding of this is how things work mm-hmm. and writing them down and thinking about, you know, what are the edge cases? How do we really do this or that? You know, bylaws are boring, but they really help on those. A few years back, we were we decided we really need to review all of the species that only have are only supported by site records. Right. And we went through and every species on the list that only had site record documentation, we we reviewed them again. Mm-hmm. Well, for almost every bird records committee, when you look in their bylaws, one of the things that gets brought up is when can a bird be resubmitted to be reviewed again? Because mm-hmm. it's really like no nobody wants to make it so that anybody can just keep submitting their record over and over again. Sure. Or, you know, they're angry with the current members. So maybe 10 years from now, wait, they submit wait, it again. New members and maybe I can get it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's, you know, it's important to have some rules about what is a legitimate reason for re-evaluating a decision an earlier bird records committee made. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have anything written down to justify one way or the other. And we kind of all agreed we believe that there's new information about how we should evaluate site records. Mm -hmm. So there's no new information in the record itself, but we thought it was legitimate to say, well, our understanding of how unreliable written records could be means we want to take a more critical look at this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it would have been nice to have bylaws that said that that was a legitimate reason to look at things. Because we got sure. some pushback that said, you know, why are you dredging up these old records? They were decided. Yeah. You know, what's your, what right do you have? <laughs> they can't take my bird away. Yeah, we took a lot of birds away. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna uh, move on just a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, Matt, have you traveled a lot to bird outside of Washington? I mean, you certainly spent a mind-blowing <laughs> amount of uh, your last 20 years birding in Washington. Uh, have you traveled outside the state and outside the country very much? A little bit, but not too much. Um, so inside the country, um, I've made, you know, the pilgrimages. I've made a Arizona trip and spent a, spent a couple of weeks down there. I um, did a Texas trip, which was actually, I was taking a road trip to visit my family in Michigan and I accidentally detoured right to Texas. Way. So it just happened. I just accidentally was found myself in Texas. Um, and I've done a Florida trip. Um, my family lives in the Midwest. So uh, mm-hmm. my parents and sister are all in Duluth, Minnesota now. So every year, except for during COVID days, I spend you know a couple of times a year, I bird around Duluth. Um, mm-hmm. But even in the country, you know, I haven't, I, I'm generally staying within Washington state. Part of that is just not having, you know, long vacations to go places or being retired. Part of that is because I kind of like it here. I kind of like yeah. just like exploring a small enough, more manageable area, like a state level. Internationally, I've, um, the, the great regrets of when I started birding, I have a small overlap between China and birding. Um, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in China. 
Oh, and wow. almost all of that time was spent before I was a birder. And so um, there's like four or five years when I birded in China. Um, but for a long time, I was doing research over there. I was studying the language. And then I was leading high school groups on summer trips um, all around China. And oh, nice. so, I mean, I've been to every province and territory in China multiple times for most of them. And I wasn't birding. <laughs> Oh my goodness! You could have you could have several hundred species in China without even trying. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I with just a few years of of short trips there, I'm over 300 species in China. But oh my. you know, boy, could I have just had just yeah. every opportunity if I would have Ex- extended my, each trip by one day and just gone birding. Yeah, you know? no, and that was when my sister was prodding me to get into birding to begin with. Oh yeah. Um, one of the things that she did was she made me take a birds of China book with me on one of the trips. And I mm-hmm. can still remember sitting in some, in some hills in the middle of nowhere in Tibet. And I had this birds of China book and I had a bird that was super cooperative in front of me. And I didn't even know how to open up the book and like, where to even look in the book to figure out what this bird was. And yeah, it was some sort of lark, I imagine, but mm-hmm. I couldn't even think about how a bird book was organized and where to go digging into it to figure out that brown thing in front of me. So Matt, I, t- I warned you ahead of time, I'm going to do a little tr- trivia quiz here <laughs> on Washington County birding. I'm asking the county birding guru oh, of Washington no. some trivia things off and all this information is off your own website. And I easily could have made mistakes in reviewing the data. So I could be wrong here too. So I am not the authoritative uh, force here. Uh, so uh, there are five species as, as best I can find that are category one birds, meaning uh, abundant, essentially, in all 39 counties of Washington. How many of those can you name, Matt? So how about a Canada goose? Eh. Ooh, can I get a mallard? You got a mallard. Ooh, all right, okay. Um, I'm going to bet that no other ducks are on the that list. That would be correct. That would be correct. All right. Um. Let's see. So we could probably get ourselves. Oh, we're not going to get American crow, are we? Are we going to get no. oh, Kildare, though? Kildare's got to be one. Maybe. Kildare is category two in Garfield. Damn, Garfield. Garfield stops everything. Um, Canada, Canada goose on the islands is a, <laughs> is a classification two on island in San Juan County. Interesting. See, I wouldn't have thought that. Wow. Yeah, I I might have because I've uh, my girlfriend has a uh, her brother has a mm-hmm. manages a set of condominiums on uh, Orcas Island, and you know it's hard to find a duck in those that island. Yeah, and I, I think that you know all those birds that the nest in the tundra in the Midwest, they come over and then they hit the salt water. And say, why would I fly out to an island? You know, <laughs> that's my theory. Uh-huh. I don't know. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, well, we got to have Robin. You got Robin. Okay. So you've got Robin and Mallard. <laughs> I'm, I'm just rocking through this. Um, okay. I'll tell I know, you, I one know swallow. it's I know, one swallow. One swallow. Okay. Um, can we get a barn swallow? You got a barn swallow. All right. There's one, one warbler. One warbler. Um, that better be a yellow rump. That's a yellow rump. Okay. And then you got one other bird that it is, uh, think of a cattail marsh. 
Oh yeah, you, you just just saw this on somebody's Twitter game of guessing the bird of the day or the bird of the week. It's got to be a red winged blackbird. It's a red winged blackbird. Yeah, I know uh, it wasn't another, house sparrow because Ferry County yeah. thwarts the house sparrows. Yeah, yeah, house sparrow is is category three in Ferry County. Unbelievably, it's one everywhere else. It's a class <laughs> it's class one bird in every county except Ferry, where it's class three which is seemed weird. Uh, and then the other one that I thought was a uh, uh, brown headed cowbird, I thought, might ah, be. but it, yeah. it, uh, it's a, a category two in Columbia and Ponderay. Uh, so mm-hmm. those are, those are the five. There might be another one, but I, I don't think so. I went through the list and those were the five that I could find. Yeah. So. That's a good, Good bunch of them, though, yeah. So uh, that's the type of trivia you can find on the Washington Birder website. There you go, and <laughs> then you can, and then you can get driven crazy by going, "Why in the world would house sparrow be so rare in Ferry County?" And it's findable there. <laughs> you know, it's it's findable in a couple of places, but boy, I took a dedicated trip to get my house sparrow in Ferry County. <laughs> I think you you wrote an article for Washington for the old. <laughs> and, wasn't it in the was it was in the was newsletter? Was it in the old Washington Birder, wasn't it? The paper I, one, I, one. I think I remember talking about that once. Yeah, just like the confessions of a county lister yeah. chasing house sparrows. I remember. I remember everybody looked like, why would anyone give it to him? <laughs> <laughs> it takes really? a special type. <laughs> yeah, it does take a special type. So Matt, I, I wanted to get two last things out of you. Ken Knittle passed away, I think last year. And I, one of my, I never knew Ken other than just as a, as a uh, myth, mythical creature, sort <laughs> of, I, I wasn't too involved in WAS and uh, until real recently. Uh, do you have any Ken Knittle stories? Can you share a couple of uh, Ken Knittle stories for us? Yeah. So to me, um, I birded with Ken a handful of times and corresponded with him a lot more than that. And Mm -hmm. I mean, Ken was, like you say, kind of legendary. His sense of humor, I have a bad sense of humor and pun all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. Ken takes it to a whole nother level. Um, Ken, (laughs) like the thing you had to learn when you birded with Ken is he had a deadpan delivery for his jokes and Mm -hmm. he would love to fool you. And so you could be like talking about your, you know, I think, think back to birding in Wakayakum County, which is one of those tough counties, but tough county in the Southwest. And, you know, we'd be talking about waiting for the next bird and saying, you know, yeah, well, you know, I'd really like to see, I don't know, cinnamon teal here, which actually isn't too Mm -hmm. hard in Wakayakum. And he would say, oh yeah, well, three just flew by and you know, you'd sit there and you say, did I just miss three cinnamon teal flying by? And he would never break a smile. He would just <laughs> let you live in it for a while. And he could pull your leg and keep you guessing so long. But the problem was he knew everything about where to find the birds. Like he yeah. would be able to say, oh, Wakayakum County and Indigo Bunting. Well, you should look under this rock and mm-hmm. have a story of when the birds showed up there. I think the only sort of comparable encyclopedic knowledge like that right now to me is Ryan Merrill mm-hmm. who really yeah. can, he can keep track of that in his head in a way that's, you know, pretty astounding. Um, and Ken was doing that with all the counties and just knowing where all the little corners were in every County. And so yeah. you'd bird with him and you would just be spending the entire time going like, why in the world did he choose this road? Oh, 
look at that. <laughs> and we'd be That's going on a random there, road yeah. and he had figured that out. And so birding with Ken, um, I never did the hardcore. Um, so Ken is legendary for doing trips where you would sleep on the ground. Mm. Um, he, you'd do a weekend long trip in the blue mountains in Southeastern Washington. And mm-hmm. it was a quote unquote camping trip, but those trips, you know, he wouldn't bring a sleeping bag or a tent or a yeah. tent. He would just lay down and get up and go. And, um, you know, he was, he was a, a sleep rough kind of person that was willing to do anything to get out there and be out there for the birds. And it was a ton of fun to be birding with him the few times that I did it. And I think like he just, he brought that kind of obsession to really sort of understand at the County level what's going on in the state. And um, we wouldn't have had the beginnings of all of this kind of record keeping if it wasn't for him tracking that. Yeah. Sounds like you got us off on the right page. And, and fortunately we've got a handful of people yourself included that uh, keep the, keep the, uh, the story going. It's, it's a ongoing narrative that is being well, well documented, thankfully. Yeah, I think uh, you'll you'll be this year will be the first year in December in January when instead of Ken and Lori nudging you to send in your records, it's going to be Michael Hobbs and I. Okay, we've taken yeah. on the big year or the year list reports from Ken and Lori. So, okay. well, thank you for taking that on. It's an important task, or <laughs> important task for those of us who love that sort of thing, at least. Uh, and that's way cool. Uh, so, uh, I just uh, I'd like to wrap up with mm-hmm. uh, giving listeners a, a, an opportunity to know how they can reach out to you, Matt. How could somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to to catch up with you? Would it be the best way? So that gen- you're willing to share? <laughs> yeah. Generally, easiest thing is to reach out to me by email, and that's okay. um, just Matt XYZ, M A T T X Y Z, at mm-hmm. earthlink.net. I'm one of the last living Earthlink users. So, okay. So, Matt XYZ at earthlink.net. Terrific. Yeah. That, so, anyone who get needs you. to get a hold of Matt, you can do that that way. That'd be great. And the last thing I, I like to offer people who have a chance to give a shout out to some cause or something that they want people to know about. Do you have anything that you want people to support or know about or get passionate about? Um, you know, I really think that there are, there's kind of an abundance of good causes that can inspire different people to go in different directions. I think Mm -hmm. finding ways to get younger folks into birding is always a good excuse to spending some money. So something like the Young Birder Fund at WASP um, can be a great place. A couple of plugs for things to do. Um, Mm -hmm. One is answer that, that persistent call from Matt and Michael this year when we want you to send in your year lists, mm-hmm. if you're a county lister or if you're an e-birder, you don't it's even so have to easy work. with e-bird, it's all my there. goodness. E-bird makes it simple. It takes me about three minutes. There's yeah. nothing to it. We've got a bunch of great county year listers um, this year breaking records for the county big years and oh. you know on e-bird. And if they don't enter them into Washington Birder, we're going to have two different sets of like, who's the top lister for the year for places and i really want those e-birders to get over into washington burger once a year yeah i you know i have to say i didn't for a long time mostly because i thought my numbers are so crappy why should i bother and i said well maybe it'll maybe it'll uh motivate me to not have them be so crappy yeah and you don't have to submit them all you can just submit your favorite county and your state list or anything so 
So that was my one plug. The other plug is goes back to WAS and WAS News. Um, I just finished an article. I've been running a contest a couple of times where we just totally for play again, um, try to guess the next five birds that'll be added to the state list. Okay. And we just wrapped up round three of it. Um, okay. And we've added eight birds since the last time I asked for the next five. And mm-hmm. so it's time to collect guesses for what are going to be the next five birds in the state. Okay. And so, so who won the last one? Do you, do so you, is that, is that going to be in the newsletter? It'll be in, that'll be in the newsletter. We should watch for that. Okay. Um, I, w- I won't, I, I'll, instead of uh, breaking the news here, I won't get the scoop, but I'll encourage <laughs> people to encourage people to check out the was next was newsletter and yeah. find out. And there's, you know, the, 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 the short answer is, we are not all that good at guessing the next new birds for the state. So anybody can play and you're going to be above average or at least average. Average is zero. Exactly. (laughs) Good. Well, I'll have to get my list and I hadn't even thought of that very well. Matt, thanks so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. And uh, you uh, enjoy your next, uh, next uh, goal, whatever that may be. (laughs) The goal is always a little bit more. Um, thanks a, a lot, little, Ed. Just a little bit longer now. Yeah. Bring it on. Um, thanks much, Ed. This has been a lot of fun. Good. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner Podcast, number 83 with Matt Bartels. How much fun I had talking to Matt. I just love talking to people who are just passionate and really knowledgeable about the things that they do. And Matt is that in spades. What an avid county birder. I had so much fun talking to him about that. I've been enjoying county birding the last few years also and am realizing how incredibly difficult that task can be and yet how wonderfully rewarding. It takes you to places you never thought you'd go, seeing things you didn't know existed, and enjoying new roads, new places, new people, new birds. Just a really fun undertaking I'm really enjoying. So it was fun to hear Matt's perspective on that, as well as his work on the Bird Records Committee. We talk about two difficult decisions the Bird Records Committee had to make this most recent annual meeting when they talk about figuring out whether the the bird seen by the commercial fisherman offshore was a northern giant petrel or couldn't tell whether it was a northern or southern giant petrel. It's interesting to hear the process of how the committee worked through that decision-making. In case anyone wants to see photos of those birds in the uh, blog post on birdbanner.com, I put links to the Birds Birds of the World uh, website for each of those species so you can see about those, along with the Nazca and mass booby decision that they also had to make. Well, thank you, Matt, for sharing all of your stories about county birding and for the passion you have for the Bird Records Committee work. We're all appreciative for that, and I'm appreciative of having the chance to get to know you a little better. So, thanks for listening. If you get a chance, leave a review and a rating on wherever you find your podcast feeds. Helps me get feedback, helps the podcast rank higher in those uh, platforms. So, thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding and good day. <laughs>